welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. So where are you calling from? I'm calling from suburban Kansas City, Missouri. Wonderful. How are things in Kansas City right now? Pretty good. Pretty calm. Yeah? That's good. Calm is, calm is good. I've been there once before. I love Kansas City. I'm, I'm from the Midwest originally, and Kansas City is, is a fantastic place to visit. Love the barbecue. One of the meccas of the area with a lot of history, which I've put into my book. Fantastic. Uh, before we get into that, how do you describe yourself and what you do? I am an uh, independent scholar and a publisher. Uh, I am an energy historian scholar, uh, energy transition historian, I should say. Mm -hmm. And I have identified a body of knowledge that has not been explored, and that is fuel and energy transitions. And I've been writing about them, studying them, and more wonderful information comes up all the time. I draw more conclusions, more parallels. I would love to see this become a body of knowledge that people study. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. What got you interested in this topic? You know, I went back to graduate school in 2001 with the idea of looking at uh, changes of fuel because Kansas City is a pioneer town starting in 1820. It has a very clear beginning, a very rapid growth and change. And I thought, I just want to look at that. And then out of that fell the realization that fuel and energy are the background for all of this and because the change was so rapid it was wonderful to to uh, record mm -hmm. and since then i've just drawn broader and broader conclusions <clears throat> okay wonderful so so you see so you describe yourself also as a, as a writer as well so what with this research you've been doing what made you want to start writing books gosh i started writing books when i was seven and i remember doing that with uh, black colored paper stapler, um, crayons. I mean, this is all I've ever done, really. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, that's, oh, that's good. And then so you expand it from there. So let's let's talk about your first book before we go in, into the details. Um, what was so what what was your first book about and and how what was the process like in the very beginning of writing your first book? Uh, well, I'll talk about my first environmental book. Sure. I've written others before that that were other subjects, but the first environmental book was Call of the Rainbow Warrior, an environmental fable, which came out in 1990. And it was the story of a uh, monkey in South America who lost its uh, home because of the burning of the rainforest. And there was a, a man in uh, Oregon who was a lumber baron who had a direct pipeline to that. And so well, we were looking at the long-term connections and the 
consequence of cutting down the rainforest. Mm -hmm. And then the spiritual figure was the rainbow warrior who said, when the earth is sick and the animals disappear, uh, warriors of the rainbow will come to clean the earth and, and heal the heal the earth and the sky. So that was that message. I put that out. And then uh, 3M, the uh, company in Minnesota, gave us a grant and we turned it into a play and we performed that two years and, you know, so it got some splash. It was fun. Yeah. And, uh, and after that I went into nonfiction of, uh, ideas about how to heal the earth, stop the pollution. That's what I've been doing since 1990. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, and I think that's, I think it's fantastic that you turned your first book into a play. That's great. Is there, of so of the two you're doing so far, do you prefer writing? Like your first version of, of the parable or do you prefer the nonfiction area which you've um seemed to go down a lot more further now i do much better in nonfiction. okay and there it's so rich and i've struck this vein of uh, fuel and energy transitions that's just begging to be described and studied and i enjoy it very much okay wonderful all right well let's dig into your your current book fueling change the once and future Kansas City, once city's love affair with wood coil, coal and gasoline. Helps if I can read properly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so what made you want to write this book and what is this book about? Well, first of all, I'm going to say that we've brought out a new edition with a different subtitle. Mm. Uh, we did the one, the Kansas City one last year, and then okay. we decided to broaden the scope. And so that, uh, that, uh, subtitle is how we created climate change one fuel at a time gotcha. it's the same book with a different introduction but it is has a broader appeal and okay. so what made me want to write that that was originally my doctoral thesis after six years of graduate school i came in with the idea of looking at energy transitions and then i wanted to get it down to street level so these are real stories about how the kansas city population was impacted by uh, wood and then swiftly moving to coal and then swiftly moving to oil and now coming up to the next fuel change which has to be out of fossil fuels and into uh, renewables and we don't want to go there because we don't know what that looks like and yet these are the big wheels of machinery that turn our history and one of the conclusions i made was history is simpler than we think it's all about fuel all the time. So no matter what else we do, we're dictated to buy fuel and most particularly gasoline because it is the sculptress of our ways and means. So having identified gasoline, I have then really looked at how it impacts us. And now I'm all about gasoline all the time. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so so let's talk about that. So how how has gasoline impacted us and how do we wean ourselves off of the need for gasoline boy that's a toughie uh there are many ways into that question but uh let me say that gasoline is the biggest source of pollution mm -hmm. that we have each of us uh, pollutes a couple of tons of carbon dioxide a year from burning gasoline it's a very carefully kept secret I was in part four of my book before I uncovered this staggering statistic that every gallon we burn leaves behind 20 pounds of carbon dioxide. 
so we have been absolutely, um, what should, you know, we are addicted to gasoline because it organizes our life. We can't get along without it. And that is not by accident. The oil companies, the car countries, uh, companies have created this way of life for us. And we don't realize that we're polluting our way to global warming as fast as we can get there through gasoline. So every car that's uh, running is leaving a couple of tons of carbon dioxide mm -hmm. every year. That's astounding. And if you have a car, you need to take your car keys in your hand and realize that you cannot keep doing this. This is our way out of global warming. This is the connection between global warming and the coronavirus in that we as drivers and polluters of gasoline have created this huge uh, furlough, so to speak, that the coronavirus has given us so that we can stop and look and say, wow, look what we've done. And then we can stop driving and stay away from polluting more. It's our way out of global warming, period. Oh, I see. So you're, you're making connection to like right now, because there are less cars on the street, there are less yes. people driving that. Okay. We can see how the, the current pandemic has basically, you know, sequestered us all in our homes, driving less. We can kind of see how right. cha changes are actually happening. Okay. Yeah. The good news about the bad news is that yeah. the great gift of coronavirus is the fact that our streets are empty. Our, uh, towns are still intact. We didn't destroy them with guns and tanks. You know, we just stopped. It was a voluntary thing. I mean, it's an enormous gift. It's so big, we can't see it. And so if, if your audience is women, uh, they can take a hold of this and say, okay, this is my way out of global warming. This is the future for my children. Because if we do not resume driving, we will not keep pouring tons. Each one of us is putting tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Do we want to do this? No, we don't want to live there. And uh, we can't keep doing that. We are not going to get into the 21st century, for instance, until we stop burning fossil fuels. Once we do that, then we can enter into the 21st century burning something other than fossil fuels and get out of destroying our planet. So let's, so let's dig into that a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously, as as a society, we're not going to stop traveling, and there are you know alternatives to to fossil fuels that have come out, uh, electric cars being one of them, and they have their limitations. But beyond that, though, how how do you propose, I guess, we as a society move forward if if we are to to burn less gasoline and take advantage of alternative means of transportation? First of all, we have the infrastructure already in place. It's the electronic highway. We need to realize that this is our future and stop using the term go back. We cannot go back. We can go forward and we can get out of these old ways of communicating face to face. We have to. We are so close to going over the edge in global warming into a temperature that will melt the two ice shields, the two poles, we are so close, we simply cannot go any farther. You know, they say it takes longer than you think it will, and it happens faster than you thought it would. This is where we are with global warming. We're right on the edge. 
and uh, we can't go there. We don't want to be on a planet where the ice poles have melted. Use the polar bear as the, uh, the poster child for this. And then there's nowhere to take the planet and say, please fix the refrigeration. There's no fixer for that. We have to backpedal. We have to stop right here. And I think women will understand that because they don't want their kids to go there. They don't want their, themselves to go there. This is the way out. And we can do it without shedding blood, um, you know, tanks, helicopters, so forth. We can just choose each person who has car keys can say, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm either going to drive electric or I'm going to work electric, whatever it takes. So with the electric car, what about some of the limitations in electric cars? Yeah. Like for like for yeah. example, you know, like the the fact that there's there's not as many. I mean, again, the, the let's let's get that part. The like I know batteries are still something that are being developed. Tesla's done a very good job, and they think you can get like 350 miles to one. But to the average person, that may be not as far as they would like to go. Um, electric cars are also expensive. Is there? Yeah. Is there a, a way that you see where the cost is going to come down? There's a a a a way for let's say more of the the average person who doesn't want to spend you know a lot of money on a, a vehicle that they may not use as often could take advantage of this type of opportunity. I don't want to encourage people to exchange the gas-powered car for an electric car and go sit in traffic again. That's not where we're going. That's mm -hmm. 20th century. We, uh, for those who must have a car, use a hybrid, but those, the rest of us, let's use the electronic highway. We've got to be able to figure out how to do that. That's the gift. That's the challenge. All wrapped up into one is, uh, you know, we don't all run out there and, and uh, buy hybrids. There aren't that many and they're not going, it's a bridge kind of technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, see, there are four phases of a revolution and hybrid is the second phase okay. where we begin to change out of the status quo into hybrid. And then we have to get up to 50% of uh, electricity being used in uh, less uh, polluting ways. We get to 50%, then we're fully into hybrid and then a little bit more and then we're into the new age. Does that make sense? Yes, right that makes more sense. Only, we're only at 11 or 12%. And so we've got 40% to go and, and we just have to drop our car keys and okay. begin to think of other ways to make the world work. Okay. So you, you've used the term electric highway a couple of times. For, for my audience, could you define what you mean by electric highway? Well, you'd be better. Sir, uh, you could answer that better because you're much more advanced. Uh, I just do word processing. And, but, you know, we all have email. We all have uh, Twitter. We all have uh, cell phones. That's the, that's the future. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that we can, we have to be able to live locally, trade locally, and communicate universally. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So with, I guess, so with that, though, is there, are there ways that you're looking into that would allow people to, to I guess, travel globally, but more efficiently? Is that part of kind of what your research has been or or not so much? You know, I don't know how many people you're going to get a on a plane again. Uh, we hope that at least they're going to take the middle seat out so we have a little bit more spatial <laughs> distance. 
you know, can we pack in like sardines again? I don't think we're going to be willing to do that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that kind of thing is just going to be over. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be forced just by a sense of self-preservation into more communication this way. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I also want to, want to, in your research, I want to talk about your North Star. So in, in the way that say like the world is shifting and we're watching, you know, pollutants rise or right now pollutants decrease because we're traveling less. What types of, of things are you looking at to decide whether or not we are doing better or doing worse, pollution-wise? Well, again, uh, we have this moment, and it is just a moment. Uh, you know, they're already talking about going back to work and releasing everybody. This may only be a three-month window in which we get our alternative future and say, okay, this is where I want to go. And that has to be the way we collectively decide to go. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the route out. By the way, I have to tell you something. I think I'm the only person on the planet who knows this, and I get to share it with you. And that is the fact that tomorrow, April 16th, is the 165th birthday of the birth of gasoline. Oh. It was born in a test tube in Yale University, you'll appreciate this, in 1855. How about that? How about, I didn't, that's a great Yale fact. I did not know. Um. <laughs> you heard it here first, Yale University, 1855. And it's in my blog on fuelingchange.org. I told the story. And so gasoline was around for 40 years before it was usable because there was no internal combustion engine. Mm -hmm. And then in 1895, they finally created internal combustion engines in this country. They already existed in Europe. And uh, there's a great story about a car race in which that introduced that whole idea. Yeah. Uh, and then we got rid of horses, which was a huge, huge energy transition, you have to realize to let go of horses and take on horsepower. That was the big thing of the 19th century. And it's just rich mm -hmm. with details about fuel and energy transition. And, you know, it really hasn't been studied. So they let go of horses and took on horsepower. And then the oil companies created the gasoline um, uh, uh, mania and addiction. And we've been doing that ever since. And for a while it was great until there was so much pollution from cars. I have to tell you that my grandparents told me in the 1930s in Los Angeles, the air pollution was so bad, they could not see to drive into the driveway. My grandmother had to get out on her hands and knees and find the curb and, and help my grandfather get the car. This was at noon in LA. Yeah in the wow. 1930s so we've come a long way but we have to stop it right wow that's intense so what i so i like about your book is is you've started i guess locally and then gone globally for right. other other people who also you know besides the fact that they could say drive less what other ways can we look at locally within our communities to also aid in in this uh environmental crisis well, we have to stop ignoring the poor. Holy cow. I mean, that is a crisis waiting to happen. Those people are being patient. They, we have them so well trained 
they think that we're going to give them enough and we never give them enough. They never get enough while the rest of us have too much. And there comes a point at which they're going to stop waiting around and they're going to become citizen armies and, and start organizing into rebel crowds to get enough. I mean, that's so immoral. And for some reason, we just can't seem to make it happen. And dropping off a bag of groceries is not going to help. We have to legislate our ways out of this. We have to organize our way out of this or the poor are going to come get us. That's the other side of this coin. And they're already suffering disproportionately in uh, the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So that's very plain. We cannot let this continue on like, oh, gee, I just don't know what to do. Sure. Um, okay. So again, so I want to uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about this. What I would, for my final question, um, based off of everything that you've done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received? Fear not. And where did you hear that from? I think my mother, we went through a lot of trauma with a very difficult divorce and uh, more adventures with that by the first 12 years and then uh, we ought to have. It was uh, just a way of, of uh, holding a strong center mm -hmm. and we really didn't talk about it. We just faced the fear and went through it and things turned out well. And, uh, you know, I climbed Morro Rock when I was 12 years old. I don't know if you know Morro Rock. It was, mm. it's in uh, Morro Bay, California. It's 581 feet tall basalt rock. And uh, I wasn't afraid. My brother and I climbed it. We'd never done anything like that before. And we, uh, um, my, I don't remember my mother saying, hell no. And, and so we just climbed it one cold Saturday in December and got to the top and looked out. And I think I got a sense of myself then that was uh, amazingly fortifying. And then we climbed back down and then we went to our little beach trailer behind the sand dune. We had no electricity, had no running water, had no toilet. We had a, a um, outhouse out back. We pulled up our little table with a wobbly leg underneath and lit our kerosene lamp. It had something to eat, did our homework, and we topped it off with some Agatha Christie that we enjoyed reading. And you know, that was a phase in our lives and we were never afraid. We were never despondent. We just thought, you know, we're, we're going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. I don't remember even talking about getting out of it. We just did it. Mm -hmm. And I think from there, I got the sense that uh, my, both my brother and I graduated from college. I went all the way through graduate school, all on my own. And it just uh, was a, a sense of being strong and centered and that we had every right to improve ourselves. Wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Twyla, again, thank you so much for taking the time to me, uh, taking the time today to chat with me. If the listeners would want to buy your books, see more of your writing, or contact you, where is the best place they can go for all of that? They can go to fuelingchange.org. I have a very pretty website and I use the word advisedly. I have a lot of good blogs on there and I, uh, otherwise they can go straight to Amazon and get fueling change, how we created climate change one 
fuel at a time. It's all about fuel all the time. And as soon as we realize that, we can begin to make more intelligent choices. Wonderful. Well, Twyla, again, thank you so much. I will put those links to the show notes, including a link to your book, Fueling Change. And so listeners can click right through. Again, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a great day. Welcome. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.